Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Haley Mason, Director and Senior Solicitor of Send Legal, a highly successful specialist in education law. Haley, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader really means to me that you are out to influence people to think, speak, and act to make a positive difference, not only in their own lives, but in the lives of others around them as well. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, Very hands-on. I very much lead the team from the front because I don't think that you can be a good leader unless you're willing to do something that you're going to ask somebody else to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So really you need to get in there and roll up your sleeves. Definitely. I mean, there's there's some type of leaders that will tell their team to do things that they wouldn't do. And I think that creates a negative attitude, um, particularly in a work environment like mine, where we have quite a small team, which is very hands-on in a very busy and stressful environment. So really, um, I'm getting them onto the team um, who we can delegate down, but I'm helping them in all avenues, and they can come to me for support or ask me for help whenever they need to. Now, uh, you mentioned that you have a small team. Uh, are there any differences in leading a small team uh, compared to leading a large one? I would say so, because the traditional structures that you might have in place in a large team, you might normally have specific departments for things, um, a very clear peer where in a smaller team there's around 16 of us so it's very much all hands on deck particularly when um, we may have cases that come into our practice that we wasn't expecting and it's very much an urgent deadline that everybody has to get on board with so there's not those traditional hierarchies and people really really need to put all, everything that they can they're doing put to one side and actually just concentrate on the matter at hand um, so there is bigger challenges, I would say, sometimes in a smaller environment, just because those traditional tiers are not necessarily there. And does being in a small, rather close environment cause any friction? Um, I would be um, lying if I was going to say that in every office there's not some kind of friction, but (laughs) I think one of the key (laughs) things that you can do as a leader is make sure that everybody feels valued and everybody feels appreciated. Um, certainly my leadership style, that's something that we've really grown in as a practice. Um, you know, asking people how they are because you genuinely want to know how they are and making sure you know what's going on with your team outside of the office as well as inside of the office. And actually valuing them, telling them when they've done good work. I think little things like that can actually go a really long way. So I make a really big point of saying to my team if they've done good work, that actually that was a really great piece of work and, you know, keep that up. And similarly, when we're promoting our uh, success, um, we've got a fantastic success rate. And when I'm promoting that on our social media channels and our marketing, I make a big point of saying this thanks to our team. And I make sure I go back to the team and say thank you for your hard work. Um, because it's never one person. I think some leaders can step up on that and think it's very individual. You do have to have a bit of an ego check, um, in my experience, mm. of leadership to actually say this is really much a team effort. And um, it's not down to one individual person. Recognition is, of course, important uh, to make people feel like they are stakeholders in an organization as opposed to just staff members. Um, Absolutely. Now, when staff members aren't at their best, uh, when they, uh, you know, the staff are made up of human beings with all their foibles and uh, um, interpersonal issues, how do you handle that? Um, I think it's 
Um, a good cup of tea is an uh, excellent place to start. Um, what we would do is, if somebody's not seeing their best, certainly the door is open for them to raise any issues. Um, if they are very stressed, what we will do, or if they're not performing to their full capacity, is actually just take them over to one side. Don't make a big um, someone dance in front of the whole team. Take them to one side. Ask them if there's something on their mind that we're not aware of, that we can support them fully in that. And actually, if it's a training issue, look at what training we can provide, whether that's something that we can provide in-house, whether that's something that we can get um, from outside sources. So one of the things that I brought in when I became a leader here and um, certainly got promoted to a director is I actually introduced a training scheme. So once a month, we pull all different professions. Uh, we have speech and language therapists, education psychologists, psychiatrists, all actually coming into our practice to develop training sessions for our team completely free of charge then pretend and they, this is actually because of some feedback where they were feeling that they needed some further training that they wasn't accessing so we have regular um, training sessions they can put in requests for training sessions and also we have personal development plans for anyone that feels that they're struggling and we'll check in with them for support with that um, on an ongoing basis. Now, Haley, let's go back to the uh, beginning of your career when you're first starting out in the world of work. Was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that formed the way that you lead today? Um, I've always been surrounded by quite um, good leaders. So certainly when I was in my university, I had a fantastic um, personal tutor who really showed me what a good leader was in that when I went to him with a question, he would tell me where to look but not provide me with the answer. And I think that's a really good uh, leadership style. So I've tried to emanate that, certainly. Um, mm. I look up to strong characters who are willing to help you but not go all the way and really actually push you. So I think it's very important as a leader to not always provide the answers, but actually push the individual to know where to go but also make them make that extra step themselves so that they can grow and they can develop and spread that positive difference. So a lot of the times if I would ask for a question, they would say, why don't you look here but not give you any more information than that and actually force you to do that research yourself. And that is something that I've, I've definitely grown in the practice um, and around the issue of recognition um, and values as well. That's, that's been so important because it's something that early on in my career I didn't necessarily have. Um, and I noticed that it was quite demoralising in the workplace. Lots of people not willing um, to donate because they didn't feel that they were valued. And over the, over the years, I've worked in really grown And actually now we have a very good work environment um, socially and, and at work. And it makes a huge difference because um, when you put those, face, those things into place, we are hitting targets like we've never hit before. Um, and we're, willing, we're about to grow the practice in a completely different way by actually um, developing a, a new office as a result of the success we've had. So mm -hmm. I think when you lead from the front and provide people the opportunity to develop themselves, uh, you can go really, really far. Now, let's broaden this uh, out in a bit of scope here. If I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Mm, very interesting. Um that would be a really hard one. It's not very straightforward now, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think it's not straightforward because there is different elements of many great leaders. So there are, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher in her own way was a fantastic leader. But I wouldn't say she was the greatest leader there ever was. Mm. Um, because there's different elements of different people. There are some fantastic leaders in the, um, in the United 
States also, people like Simon Sinek and John Maxwell. So I like different elements of different leaders rather than one fantastic leader. And that's because I don't think you can put any one person on a pedestal. Um, but I think there are certainly great elements of all different leaders that we can certainly pull and um, learn from in our own careers. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Send Legal? The next 12 months are seeing a huge opportunity for growth for SEN Legal. We will be opening a second office. Um, we've been in the same office for the last 20 years. So we're opening a second office just due to capacity. We're helping more parents than we've ever helped before. We're currently running 200 cases with a 98% success rate. So we are doing phenomenal work. The team are working incredibly hard. And we're about to uh, open those opportunities on server by opening our second office, opening ourselves up to even more parents and being able to really make a positive difference in the lives of children with special educational needs right up and down the country. So it's going to be a really exciting time where we can help many more people than we currently do today. Well, Haley, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to speaking with you again uh, in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's been a pleasure. That was Haley Mason, Director and Senior Solicitor of Send Legal. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching, or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past, and she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well, and I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the 
quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what shivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms Mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th- those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Secretary in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, 
extraordinary, ordinary people. And especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's It's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, And I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities... They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're know you a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment That's very about good of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had 
the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, say? I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what? Um, oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why." Quite uh, <laughs> the um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle, especially, is that um, it takes and talks to people. But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being 
egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, 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 it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse and you don't get everything right that's the other thing you've got to recognize which is why being part of a broader team being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind that that that's the the measure and i think if we can share those traits those experiences those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions. Perhaps in three things: what will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the thirty-first of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. And, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that 
there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.